Oh, my name is Georgia, and I am the real alcoholic. Um, my sober date is March 4th, 2014, and my home group is the Down Under group. Go Down Under. <laughs> um, I'm going to start from the beginning, because I think there was something in that that I was supposed to share. So, my first memories of life were being in heaven. Um, it's never changed. It's never faded. I couldn't even describe it to you differently than I remember it. It's just not, it's not possible. Um, and you kind of keep that in mind as I'm telling my story. And I might tell you where I was at, the, the mental agony um, going back and forth. I was born into a house of alcoholism, drug addiction, and rage. There were um, very few happy times that I remember. Um, there were endless beatings, and we were constantly moving because my parents didn't want to get in trouble. They were always running from something. The police would show up at our home. Um, my dad would say, look, we're leaving. You're not going to have to worry about us anymore, and loaded us all in the car, and the police were perfectly fine with that. Um, I remember one time when my dad went in and carried my sister to the car because she couldn't walk to the car after what he'd done to her, and the police just watched us leave. It was, it was tough. Um, I was also sexually abused as a child. Um, my grandfather sexually abused me all throughout my childhood. And it was always um, it was a bittersweet thing because when we were at my grandparents' home, had clean clothes, there was food in the refrigerator, my parents were on their best behavior, there was laughter, and, um, but then there was that. And, you know, in my mind, I always knew it was wrong. It wasn't as if <laughs> there was any doubt in my mind, but I also knew that love was what we should have been doing for each other. I mean, I had that memory. That was, I had it. And um, my parents knew what was going on. Um, my grandfather had done it to all of his children, male and female. It was no surprise or mystery. But they thought that they were going to benefit from it when he passed away. You know, Sick, sick, very sick family. Um, my father, as I said, was very violent. But he was the alcoholic trying not to drink. And he had grown up in a very dysfunctional family himself. So he really just did what he knew. And I could see how sick he was. Um, my mother was just missing something. And, and that's all there was to it. Um, my brothers and sisters suffered a lot. I did not get the physical abuse that they got. My father told me years later that it was because, you know, when he beat on me, um, I didn't cry. And I'd go back to my room and I'd play as if nothing had happened. And uh, really, that's how I dealt with all difficult situations in my life. I wasn't going to cry and I was just going to keep going and that's it, you know. Out from one into the other. I said, that's mindset there. Um, but it was slowly taking its toll on me. When I was younger, I remember every day I would just go off and play by myself. And I would talk to God and I would sing to him, and, you know, it was just me and him, and that was all I had. And, 
It got me through some very, very difficult times back then. I had decided at one point that, oh, you know, I should throw this in there. When I was in the first grade, I stole the book. It was Where the Wild Things Are. It was the first book I ever read that took me outside of that life, and I wanted that book. Um, I got caught by the teacher, so, uh, you know, a little guilt and shame going on right there. <laughs> not the prettiest thing, not the easiest thing to tell you either, but that was, it's true what happened. Um, at 12 years old, I decided that I was going to try to get some help. And um, I talked to my brothers and sisters before we went into school, and I said, all right, I'm going to get us help. Are you, can you guys back me up? And they said, absolutely, yes. So I go in, and I tell them what was going on. I go to class. I'm called back into the office about 10-something. And there's my parents sitting right here and the principal sitting across the desk from me. Um, I sit down, and... Um, I'm looking at the principal the whole time. I never took my eyes off of him because I was on a mission. And when he asked me the questions, are you being abused? Are you being neglected? I said, yes, yes, yes. Well, they called my brothers and sisters in one at a time, and they sat directly across from my father. And they could not take their eyes off of him. Ah. None of them could say that any of the abuse was going on. They were terrified. And when we left the office that day and I walked out in the, into the, the, the um, hallway where they all were, they were crying and they kept apologizing to me. And it broke my heart because I realized I'd caused them more pain. You know, really not something I wanted to do. But I also realized something else and that was that I was the only one capable in that entire household of standing up for what was right and against what was not right. I couldn't take it anymore after that. I pretty much gave up. I yanked my will <laughs> out of God's hands, and I was not going to look back. I had had enough. So I started running away, which tells you I, too, am a runner, you know. I ran away. They brought me back. I ran away. They brought me back. I ran away. They brought me back. And that was like back and forth for the first year. Finally, they just quit looking. I wasn't going to stay. Um, Still not drinking or anything in my life. But throughout those years prior to that, we were allowed to drink every New Year's Eve. Could get drunk, drink all we wanted. Also in diapers, I was taken to the bar by my family members because we owned a bar there in Bicknell, Indiana. And um, they would take me in there and get me drunk, and my dad would come and get me, and, you know, and they laugh about it all these years later. you know. Um, every New Year's Eve, I drank until I puked my guts out. And my dad was actually sweet then because he would hold me as <laughs> I was puking and I was, I was pretty sick. Um, so from 12 to 15, I lived out on the streets. Things were very, very difficult. And, you know, not too many people want to give you a job and help you out when you're that young. Um, a lot of bad things happened to male and females out on the streets. Um, I ended up getting kidnapped while I was out there. And my sponsor suggests I don't go too deep into that, and I imagine she knows better than I do, so I'm going to just tell you that again, all fuel for the fire that was coming later on in my life. Um, when I got away and I was out there, I got cold enough, I got hungry enough, um, I would not put my hand out to anyone because I had already tried that, remember? Tried to get help. Didn't work. But I had my body. And if, if I could stomach it and get out there, I used it. 
I did whatever I had to do to survive. And uh, the nights I couldn't do it, man, they were tough. They were really, really hard. Um, didn't matter. I just prolonged the inevitable because the next day I would cave and I'd have to do whatever I had to do. Um, at 15 years old, my sister um, got me a job at a strip club. The strip club got me some fake ID. You know, it was great. They were awesome, and they helped me out a lot. There's a lot of drugs and alcohol that run rampant in those places. And I discovered what they could do for me in uncomfortable situations. And uh, still not understanding that I was suffering from something um, that I would not be able to control if I started. Um, so I started to drink, and I started to do drugs. I did meth, and I, I had my years of those, you know, those substances. And um, it was bad. I drank every day. It was the only way I could think of getting through. And, and the, the drugs just helped me drink more, <laughs> helped me stay awake longer so I could drink for days instead of just hours. And um, I was pretty sick, really screwed up. Um, I had had some ch shoplifting charges because um, I shoplifted from Walmart, Walgreens, stuff like that. Makeup, things for work. I got caught, didn't take care of it. Um, so when I did get um, caught that night, it was actually because I had had the fake ID, remember? That girl ended up having a whole bunch of tickets, a bunch of parking tickets she never took care of. I was in jail. I was in jail um, with her parking tickets. I was fingerprinting and all that. They didn't check anything. I was a juvenile, right? My fingerprints weren't on file yet. Um, so an officer happened to see me walking down the street one night. Um, really, really, I was just a mess. I was crying and I had a fight with a boyfriend, you know, the love of my life. <laughs> man, oh, man. And he remembered me. He remembered, he happened to be the officer that had arrested me under the other name. And he stopped and asked me if my name was Tracy, and I said no. I don't know why I said no. I should have said no. Um, I said no, and I told him who I was. I got locked up for six months. I was 16 and a half then. And I learned a lot in those facilities. A lot. Learned a lot about myself, um, a lot about life and, you know, what I needed to do for the first time. You know, here it is. Here, it's all laid out right here. And I decided to confide in a counselor um, about the sexual abuse. And um, it was two weeks before I was getting ready to get out, and I got a letter. First letter I'd gotten. And I hadn't seen anybody, didn't know where anybody was. I got a letter, and it was from my grandmother. Apparently... Um, the state had went after my grandfather for what he had done, and they hadn't said a word to me. So the letter just told me. It was, she said, I talked to him. He told me what he did. Um, if you do this, I'll have no way to take care of myself. You know, um, the family will not talk to you anymore, which was no big deal. <laughs> I, wasn't, I, mean, I wasn't there anyway. Um, I studied for my GED. I had done all that. I was getting ready. I was getting ready to take it right before I was getting out. And I thought they were sending me into a halfway house or something, you know, so I could just, because I turned 17 years old in there um, right before I got out. So I went in and I told the, um, the counselor that they needed to stop because I had lied. And um, I sold a piece of my soul that day. It was something I don't think I ever fully recovered from. Uh, 
and then I found out that they had tracked my parents down, and my parents lived two blocks away from my grandfather. They had told my parents they had to take me back. They were already sending me back. They didn't care. You know, once again, nobody cared. I didn't take the GED test. I pretty much gave up. I was drunk two days after I got out, and I was pregnant within 30 days. Um, and I tried everything to end that pregnancy without actually going to, to a facility to end it. But God had other plans, you know. I remember jumping off a train bridge and, you know, wearing really tight pants and all these crazy things you think you're going to do. I don't know. <laughs> Stronger than what God has in plan for it. But it, it didn't happen. And I remember the whole pregnancy. Oh, please don't let it be a girl. God, please don't let it be a girl. Please, whatever you do. Of course, I had a little girl. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I ran away a few times in between that, too. But my parents wanted that baby. So um, they made sure that I came back home. Um, I, I started drinking again right after the pregnancy. Um, I did whatever I had to do to numb the pain. You know, in our book, it says that men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Um, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's wonderful. In the beginning. In the beginning. And... Um, that relationship with that guy didn't work out, and I, you know, all the, the reasons why I, I said before, you know, love, this, oh, this, this was a different love of my life, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I had my daughter, I was ready to move out with a friend, and my dad said, you're not going anywhere with that baby. And I felt that sense of fear that my, my brothers and sisters had been feeling all those years, you know, real fear, the Ugh. And I, I let it go. I moved out, left my daughter there, fuel for that fire. I drank and I drank and I drank and I drank and I could not numb the pain. It was just too big. And um, uh, had another relationship that started. Me big on those relationship things. Um, again, if I have to repeat it, another love of my life. <laughs> Jeez. And, um, well, he was also an alcoholic and a kleptomaniac, which was just the strangest, most bizarre thing to me. If you don't need it, why are you going to take it? What are you doing? I, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. Um, that relationship didn't work out. He wasn't faithful. I wasn't faithful. Well, you did it first. No, you did it first. This is all your fault, you know. Um, and I ended up getting pregnant again. And that time it was tougher to stop the drinking and the drugs, but I did. And that was a rough pregnancy. Um, there was something wrong. I don't know what it was. I still can't tell you, but the acid reflux was horrible, and I was always someone who was very sick from pregnancies. Very, very, very sick for a very, very long time. And um, that relationship was ending, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm having a baby, and of course I have the baby. I'm right back to work because somebody had to provide for us. Um, I pick winners. And um, 
I got right back into everything again. You know, it's, I couldn't imagine a life without alcohol. It was the only thing that kept me going. Um, again, drank every day. Still stripping, still trying to get through this life, feeling that guilt, the shame, the remorse of everything I had been through. I could not let it go. I also didn't know I had PTSD. Um, and everything was triggering it. Boom, boom, boom. And I didn't understand what was happening. Why couldn't I do this? Why couldn't I control this? Where was this stuff coming from? Didn't understand. So I drank, drank, drank. Um, I ended up meeting a, another man. <laughs> you guys see where this is going. The love of my life. Yeah. And... Um, I got pregnant. The other relationship had just ended. I had a little baby. I had another daughter. I had a crazy life and no stability whatsoever. Um, I ended up having an abortion. And I was drunk the day I went. That was really not something that I wanted to do. But I was told no uncertain terms by that gentleman that I loved so much that he was going to have no part of it, you know. And I had nothing. I had two kids. I had to work. <laughs> Strippers aren't as pretty when they're pregnant and they're out to here, right? <laughs> Although maybe they are. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and that changed me. It took something from me, something that I didn't realize it was going to take from me. I couldn't even look my own children in the eyes, and I didn't feel worthy of holding them. Reason to drink, 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 drink. And I don't remember a lot of all the things that happened after then, because there was the drugs and the drinking and the drugs and the drinking. Um, I do remember that I got pregnant again. Ah. <laughs> and I'm sure I would have remembered to use condoms a little more often had I not been so drunk all the time. Um, that time, the morning after I found out, I miscarried. And I remember going to the hospital, and there, all the rooms were filled, and I'm out in a, in a, um, a table out in the hallway going through all this. And, you know, and a nice gentleman comes up and talks to me about, you know, this kind of stuff just happens, and it's, you know, the body's way. That was, something wasn't right, and I'm like... I didn't go into details, but he was absolutely correct about that. Something was not right. Um, so that was my, you know, that was absolutely of my doing. You know, I, I was reckless, and, and I was doing absolutely nothing about it. I didn't even know what to do about it. I didn't have a clue what my problem really was. Um, and then, down the road, well, I get pregnant again. Again. This time, I couldn't do it. No possible way, no way, no matter what, I was going to have that baby. And um, it, was a, it was, again, a tough pregnancy. It was brutal because the man I was with, who at that point had decided, okay, he wants to be with me, his wife didn't agree with that as much. <laughs> but um, that's okay, we're all friends today. <laughs> And um, 
after the baby, after I had the baby, I went right back to the drinking and everything. It didn't matter, you know. I was, I, that's all I knew. He came home one day, and he sat on the bed, and he came home early from work, and he said, you know, I don't know how you could do this when you know how much me and the kids love you. It had never dawned on me until that moment that someone might love me. And I quit cold turkey. Everything. Just, that's it. I was done. Um, for one year, I withdrew from the world. I cut myself off from everybody. No family, no friends, no contact whatsoever. Um, my boyfriend took the kids to school. He did the shopping. He did everything. After that year, I decided, all right, I'm going to get back out into the world. I remember flying by that liquor aisle when I started doing the grocery shopping because I was terrified. Oh, I knew what was going to happen. It was really close to it. Um, and I started taking the kids to school and tried to do the little things, you know, that I assumed normal people did. I ended up, after a few years of that, me being on all kinds of medications. They threw me on one anti antidepressant after another, anti-anxiety medication. My relationship was a mess. I was up and down and up and down and up and down, and I had no clue. I didn't understand what was going on. Um, I ended up developing an eating disorder. Um, and I got treatment for that, and it took me years to even get treatment for that. I mean, I was really sick. I dumped everything I had on that therapist, everything, everything. I was bleh. Didn't talk about my alcoholism because I wasn't drinking. I, I was sober. I was clean. That was it. Um, he told me that I was desperately trying to control something. My life was out of control. And he also told me in my last session, he asked me to look at him in the eyes, and I did. And he said, there's nothing wrong with you. The way you feel about all those things that happened to you is exactly the way any normal person would feel. I have to say that helped. It did help. Okay, so I'm not crazy. I'm just stuck in, in what felt like crazy. Um, so I'm done with the, the therapy and all that, and I get out, and I, you know, I want to be fit, want to be healthy. So I start exercising, and then I developed an addiction to exercise. And people think, well, you know, but that's a healthy thing to be addicted to. Not when you do it the way I was doing it. And my body, again, had just, uh, it was too much. It was too much. Everything was too much. I did everything to excess, you know? So me and that guy ended up getting married after, um, after seven, seven and a half years of him being married to somebody else, um, he, his son died, um, Long's QT syndrome. I had already planned on leaving him before that, and afterwards there's no way I could do that. I just couldn't. Um, he pretty much insisted we got married after that, and so we did. No big deal, right? Why would I think this is, this is the love of my life? I'm, this is, this, yes, let's do it. <laughs> I always believed if I ever got married, I used to joke about, um, well, you know, I'm going to be married seven times. Ha, 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 at least seven ex-husbands. But I really just wanted one. thought one would be plenty. You know, one was a bit much at times. <laughs> and um, when that relationship went south and my kids grew up and they no longer needed me, my brain told me that 
I had been making way too much out of this alcoholism, you know, that I hadn't had a drink in so long. There, obviously, I knew the consequences. I could control my drinking. And me, being the genius that I am, I listened to it. And I started drinking again, hiding things a little here, there, little bottles. And I would be so proud of myself. <laughs> God big bottle of whiskey because there was, you know, no little bottles available. So I'm getting in and I'm taking, you know, my three shots. And 100 Proof Southern Comfort, by the way, was my drink. Whew, good stuff. <laughs> to this day, unfortunately, Lord, I still think it's good stuff. Um, and uh, so when I would take those three shots and I'd, I'm doing something good. I'm going to bottle up. Look at that. Look at me go. <laughs> I've got the upper hand. Um... I don't really remember many of the years that came after that. Um, the drinking got crazy. My mind, again, pretty bad. Um, so I left that guy many, many times before I officially left that guy, and I divorced him. I'd had enough. I went back to school. I got my CDL, and I was, that's it, that's it, you know, but I drank again. Even, even doing that, even making my way, going there, I still drank again. The job was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. I'm a woman in a man's, in a man's profession. Oh, God, it was brutal. You guys can be rough. <laughs> and they didn't like that I could do their job just as well as they could. And um, so my dad got sick. I went back to Indiana to help him, and what went back to help him ended up being four and a half months. And I had to forcefully take him from the hospital after a month and a half, and they were killing him, and they didn't care. You know, I figured if he was going to die, better be at my hands than someone who didn't care. Um, I didn't realize it was going to be what it was. I mean, he had a tracheotomy in. He had the feeding tube. Um, he had bed sores. Man, nobody cared. Nobody, the insurance company's fighting with me like crazy, and I'm telling them I saved you hundreds of thousands of dollars. What is wrong with you? Finally, they came around. They started sending therapists out there to help him, um, and that was great. But after all that time, lost my job. They couldn't hold my position any longer, and I couldn't say I blame them. My parents were 20 minutes from family. They were in Indiana. I was here. And the family just couldn't be burdened with going out there. A lot of it, I have to say, my brothers and sisters, they still couldn't handle anything um, difficult and emotional, even at that point. So I kind of understood that. Um, that husband that I had divorced from, uh, he offered to buy them a house closer to the family. And all I had to do was marry him again. I begged him all the way to the steps of the courthouse, please don't make me do this. We're making a mistake. <laughs> he wasn't going for it. He didn't care. You know, I didn't realize that he was obsessed. <laughs> I get it today, right? I understand. Um, so we tried it. Didn't work out any better the second time that it had the first time. And when I left him the second time, after many times of leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back, um, I met a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I met him in a bar. 
Can you raise your hand back there, Michael? Oh, there you go. There's that man. There he is. Woo! My fellow. Uh, <laughs> um, I really liked this guy. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Man, he's fabulous. Um, and he liked to drink. And I remember when we, when we were first hanging out, I'm like, no, I'm not drinking that much. You know, no, no. And I had the, the, all these strict rules in place about my drinking. Okay, no more than this. I don't even know how long that worked out. Um, probably not more than a couple of months. Um, we were too busy having fun. Woohoo! You know, to really, for me to give much focus on that. And then things changed. And they changed pretty fast. Um, started blacking out. I had never blacked out before in those earlier years. You know, even drinking every day all the time. All it, well, it didn't do that. This time it did. And I don't even know. It probably took a couple of years. Uh, and God bless him. Um, but uh, I started puking up blood all the time. My stomach was distended. My liver was shutting down. My kidneys were failing. Um, my good and bad cholesterol through the roof. My blood pressure through the roof. I would be puking my guts out around the toilet, um, seeing the blood and everything else, and I'd be pissed off because I just puked up all that, that alcohol, and uh, where's my bottle? And I could be ugly, and uh, really ugly. I remember one time he hid a bottle from me in his work truck. I had to take it in for some maintenance, and they found the bottle. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, he was no angel. <laughs> <laughs> if he was, he was cleverly disguised. Um, but it was rough. And one night, um, after being very drunk and him hurting my feelings, I slipped my wrist and I blacked out. My roommate and my brother were not going to call the ambulance or anything because I said no. Not going to the hospital, don't you dare call. And I imagine I probably scared him because I was drunk, remember? Scary stuff. Um, oh, I came to the next afternoon, 2.15 in the afternoon. There was a woman in there for suicide watch. And um, that husband that I'd left in the room with me. And um, she said, you believe in God? And I said, oh, yes, I love God. I remember being in heaven. I was out like that. That fast, I was out of that. Crazy, bizarre, it was so weird. Um, and it really stood out to me. When I got home from the hospital, you would think that the last thing I'd want to do is pick up a drink. And I remember trying not to. Had my little calendar up there, and I'm writing smiley faces on the calendar. And then the smiley faces turned to boobs, <laughs> which is, it's the truth. I'm drawing, drawing boobs on my calendar because I knew I wasn't going to make it. And um, I had to drink. I remember standing in my kitchen, looking out the kitchen window. And all there was in the refrigerator at that time was beer, and I loathed beer. I used beer when I was trying to control my liquor, you know. That's... It's not alcohol. My body didn't know that, but that's what I believed. And um, 
I was, a, I was just a train wreck. I really was, you guys. And I remember the tears rolling down my eyes because I knew what I had done. I realized it hit me full force that I had invited it back into my life. That whatever alcohol, whatever interest it had in me was nothing good. And it didn't want to let me go this time. I came into the rooms. I did not talk to anyone. I sat in the backs of the room and I, don't look at me. Don't talk to me, especially the women, because I hated you. I hated everything about you. Don't, don't give me your whiny BS. I didn't want to hear it. You were weak. You were insignificant. You were freaking annoying. I understand today. That's what I thought about me. How could I see you any other way? I got a sponsor who reached out to me. I know that they kind of go the other way in here a lot. She could see I couldn't do it. I was in a room full of people, and I was terrified of human beings. When the meeting was over, I would make a just dart from my car as fast as I could. That was it. I was done with you guys. You had served your purpose. I was done. When I started talking in the meetings, I remember we were reading out of the big book, and it just jumped out of the page at me. We were in Bill's story. And I, I realized what it was. And I turned the book over and I said, do you guys know what this is? This is so much more than alcohol. <laughs> I was still pretty early in my sobriety. <laughs> I read this book every day. And nothing made sense. I read it and I read it. And I, my mind was so screwed up from all the drinking and everything. It was so bad. Um, I ended up getting another sponsor before the one that kept calling me. And I let her go because she was way too nice. She wanted me to sit right by her and be all close and read the book. And I couldn't do that. But I couldn't even tell her that I couldn't do that. <laughs> so I just let her go. I made an amends to her later on. You know, I feel really bad about that because now I understand the program. I get it. We all need each other. We're in here for the same reason. We're sick. We're suffering from the disease of alcoholism. I'm going to move really quick to the book because I know we're, we're getting a little short on time. And I'm going to tell you what I understand about everything I just mentioned to you. Um, in my very young years, you know, that diaper stuff, the New Year's Eve, um, I was a moderate drinker. Because I had little trouble in giving it up, giving up liquor entirely if they had a good reason for it. They could take it or leave it alone. If it wasn't available, I wasn't drinking it, right? No big deal. Through my teenage years, um, then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, finding out someone loves you... Um, change of environment or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. Remember all that medicine they were throwing me on and everything else because I was sick. Ugh. When I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I had hit the real alcoholic stage. 
He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Um, in the doctor's opinion, he talks about um, what it is we're suffering from. And he believed, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is the manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurred in the average temperate drinkers. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit, they found they cannot break it. Once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and they become astonishingly difficult to solve. All I had was problems. And my solution was to drink, to drink, to drink, so I didn't have to feel and I didn't have to think about it. Um, I, I understood after I read that. That made sense to me for the first time in my life. That explained why, though I could do anything else I set my mind to, you know, strong-willed person, why I couldn't do that, why I could sit and watch other people just push their drink away, and there's me down in mine and finishing theirs, you know? why all those times I tried to control it with, all right, I'm going to be there for you tonight, don't you worry, I'm just going to drink wine coolers, I'm just going to drink red beer, you got, I'm here for you, <laughs> why within 15 minutes after drinking that, I ended up going right back to my three shots of Southern Comfort. And that was my drink, a drink, three shots of Southern Comfort. I couldn't imagine drinking any other way. It's just that was the only normal life to me. Um, those steps brought me freedom. They brought me freedom, freedom from the bondage of self. Exactly what the book says it will, it will give you, you will receive. Um, I know that I cannot fear my disease. I do, however, have to respect it because it can do to me at any time far worse than it did to me before. And all I have to do is be stupid enough to pick that drink up, you know? I've been through deaths. I've been through infidelity. And you know I love you, honey. Mwah. I love you. <laughs> and I don't share this information to make, to make him look bad or anything else. I just want you to know that no matter what you deal with, what you come across, you, if you do what the program tells you, you do exactly what it tells you. There are tools here. And if you use it the way it's brought to you, it's going to work. It's going to work in the most difficult of times. You will not pick up a drink. I'm not saying that you won't want to, you know. You may always want to. But there's a big difference between wanting a drink and needing a drink. You want it before you put it in your body. You need it after that, and you no longer have control about how much you're going to take in. So do not, for me, I cannot um, live in the delusion that I might someday drink like other people, you know? I am one of those people. I already know that my mind is going to tell me after being free from alcohol for, many, for any length of time that I can drink like other people. It already did that, and I believed it. So I have to be, I have to be on my game. Um, step six was my favorite step. It was the first time that this runaway train came to a screeching halt. And I looked back at the work I had done. Was I ready? Was I really ready? Had I done the best job I could do? And I knew that I had. 
you know. My creator is the, the reference to that, that higher power that, that just touched me. Ah, it touched me. It still does. You know, when I say that seven-step prayer, no matter how long you're in here, you're going to be using the prayers. Um, I understand. There's good and bad in me. I can't pick and choose, you know. I can work on those things I find objectionable today because I have tools. You know, I have people. And just so you ladies know, um, you being here means everything to me. I, I just everything. And I look at you all as pillars of strength. I see how hard you work, and I know, I know what it feels like. I know what you're working through, and I am so proud of all of you. Oh, so proud. Man, oh, I love you guys, too. I see you all doing the same things, but you're just not in that same class of people for me today. Ladies, woo! Oh, man, these are awesome. Um, don't give up on yourselves. And please remember, no matter how many people that you work with, um, if you're the only person that you've ever kept sober, you've already changed the world. That's it. That's all I got. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.